A Metro Detroit minister recently retired but is still sharing stories with the release of her new book. Joining us now on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio is Eileen Petra, here with us now to talk about her book, Mystical Ark, A Vessel of Blessings. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you, Lisa. Before we even get into the book, let's talk a few minutes about you. Tell us a bit about you and what led you to write this book. Well, uh, the book has been stirring around in my mind for quite some time, Uh and, and I think it really stems back to when I first got involved in unity and headed along the ministerial path, uh, where I found a, a metaphysical interpretation of scripture and, and came in contact with some books that really opened my mind to there being something something different than the words that were on the page. And that sort of pulled me along for quite some time. And then... Uh, you know, after being involved in unity for some time, I got involved in youth ministry, partly because my kids were in the youth ministry program. And I found that uh, teaching kids about spirit was a a, a fantastic experience. It really uh, brought a deeper level of spirituality to me, as well as to them. And around that time, there was this movie that you might remember called uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I think a few people Indiana might have Jones heard of that. Movies yeah. And uh, the, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so I, I was trying to make something interesting for the kids. So I came up with this cur- curriculum called The Seekers of the Lost Ark, where we looked at a little bit deeper uh, meaning to what one would typically think they would find in the Ark of the Covenant, the the Ten Commandments written in stone. And the kids were just old enough to get the idea that maybe there's something else to this than what's been written in stone. So what kind of genre would you say that your book Mystical Ark falls in? Uh, Well, it falls into visionary metaphysical fiction. And that's not always a genre you can find, depending on where you're uh, where you're trying to list the book. So when I don't find that, I refer to it as spiritual fiction. It, and it contains, you know, it contains adventure, mystery, and this really kind of subtle yet right there spiritual theme underneath it all. And let's uh, describe what you were talking about when you say ark. It's a mystical ark. I think some people might hear that and think, oh, she's talking about the boat and Noah. But what what are you referring to in an ark and mystical ark? I'm really surprised, actually, at how often that question comes up. People are like, are you talking about Noah's ark? And I'm right. like, no. no. <laughs> there are two. Actually, there's three, but that's another story for another day. Um, but I'm talking about the ark of the covenant, the, the ark that Moses... Uh, and the Israelites carried in their uh, 40-year journey through the desert on their way to the Promised Land. And that that ark in the story is carrying the tablets in which God wrote the Ten Commandments. So ultimately, this is fiction and a bit of adventure, right? It is fiction. In this book, when the ark is discovered, it doesn't have tablets. The tablets are not there. Can you tell us what it is or does have? <laughs> I can. I'm, I'm being careful not to do spoilers, but this you find this out in the first few pages. Right. Um, they, they, there's a small group of explorers who, um, who find, they, they just stumble really upon the Ark of the Covenant. At least that's what they think it is. 
and inside of it they don't find these 10 tablets they don't find any of the items that are described in the book of exodus that would be in it instead what they find is that it is a portal and it takes them into this other mystical realm and in that realm they are just completely enveloped in the allness of life, uh, the very essence of life. So all the questions they've ever had about themselves and about God and about, you know, life itself are answered. And, and they have this incredible experience of knowingness. They, they think of, and, and they recognize how important their thoughts are to their experience. They, they think about flowers and they see them. They think about the planets and they see them. And they come back from this experience changed on the verge of a lot more change. And is that the point of the book? Because for someone like me reading it who can get meaning out of a banana, I'm (laughs) I'm thinking it's part fiction, but part inspiration. Was that your intention when you wrote this? Yes, my intention was, oh, the book just fell over. Um, Well, it's what, 750 pages close to (laughs) No, it's uh, 324. Oh, okay. Uh, On the download version, it's longer. Okay. Uh, Yes. Well, in print, it's 324. And I recall thinking, I don't know how I'll ever fill 200 pages. That's kind of the minimum for a paperback. Right. (laughs) And then it was, how do I keep this down? So. um, All right. Back to inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And and really, ultimately, the book, Becoming a Book, got inspired by some talks I did at Unity of Livonia, where I really looked at a metaphysical interpretation of the Ten Commandments. And it started when this, this man at Unity of Livonia asked me, he said, does Unity believe in the Ten Commandments? And it, I said, well, yes. And, <laughs> and there's more to it. There's always more. You know, the idea of metaphysical Christianity is that there's more than what's written on the page. There's a literal meaning and there's something else. So he really got me thinking and brought up some of those things I worked with the kids on. And uh, and so for quite some time, this was going to be a book that was essays about each commandment and, and how that commandment was really something much richer and much deeper. and was never really intended to be a rule. Out of that, it turned into this amazing book of fiction. Um, I woke up one morning with this entire first scene of these explorers discovering the ark. And uh, I, it was like almost almost word for word, the first chapter was in my mind when I woke up. It was, I don't know if I dreamt it or if it was just there. And I thought, you know, there are certain spiritual books that begin with something fictional and then they go into Uh, the message that they want to deliver. So that's the way I wrote it. But the character, Elena, who ends up being the main character, just kept coming back. So I would be writing the essays and she would pop in, you know, and I would be writing about her and the essays would pop in. So I wrote, you know, probably three or four chapters and then attended a, a writer's workshop where I had the opportunity to have someone read and give me feedback on the book and their feedback on the first 10 or 20 pages was you have this amazing story here and then you go into all these essays what's that all about why don't you finish the story and I thought well that's a possibility I've never really written fiction I don't know how that will work and uh, so I sent it off to an editor and to someone who would become one of my beta readers and without knowing what the other 
people had said, they all came up with the same thing. You have this amazing story here. I want to know what happens next. Why do you keep going into these essays? You need to get some characters to tell this story. And uh, I had no idea how I was going to do that, but once I got going, uh, it just seemed like the most amazing way to deliver this idea that there were blessings in these words and, and how profound those blessings really are. Don't you love that you wake up with inspiration? You wake up with the first chapter of your book just pouring out of you. It was. I, you know, I had never really experienced that. Well, I guess I've experienced that with doing Sunday talks. There's, there's a similarity. But this was, this was kind of amazing because, like I said, I, was, I had not written fiction before. I'd never developed characters before. I, I've written poetry. I've written essays. I've written talks and workshops. But this was a first. Do you end up weaving the essays into the story? Not really. That's that's how the first version of it went. Now, uh, the ideas of that, the the principles of that, are woven into the activities of the characters. And Elena, Elena does find people who she discusses it with. So she does, uh, she does talk about it. Um, but no, it's it doesn't go back into essay form. We're talking to Eileen Petra, the author of a new book, Mystical Arc. Do we add the Vessel of Blessings? Is that like a subtitle or is that the... That's a subtitle. That's a subtitle. But I like that. That kind of helps explain. It is a spiritual fiction book, a medical, metaphysical interpretation of the Ten Commandments. And where does it, where does the story take place? The story takes place, uh, well, it takes place in two locations. The Ark is discovered in this a cave in a really remote area uh, of the Sahara Desert. And it, it's an area between uh, between Egypt and Sudan. And that's a story in itself. And then uh, uh, probably the majority of it takes place in New York. Elena is an artist and a photographer, and she lives in Greenwich Village. And so a lot takes place right there and at the uh, college where her best friend, who is the archaeologist, works and it's an unnamed college but it's nearby and what kind of conflicts you can't have a story without conflicts or possible dangers do the characters face well it, it becomes very clear on the very first page that they've already experienced some danger um, as they're uh, looking at this this amazing discovery and and overwhelmed by it uh, they are also exhausted, and they're worn out. Their clothing is torn. There's blood spattered on them, and and uh, you're told that their uh, most of their team. There's only four of them left. Most of their team had perished the night before. So you know they've faced great danger, and so it takes a, a while. You, you got to get into the book before you really find out what it was that happened. But that same danger that someone attacked them on the way to the ark is there and present, or the possibility of that happening to them again is, um, is, is woven throughout the book. It's always there lingering in the background until the very last pages. It's a fiction work, but what did happen to the essays that you were talking about? Well, they, they, became, uh, they became things that happened to the characters. Uh, for instance, uh, Let's look at one of them in particular. Let's say there, there's a commandment uh, that you shall, you shall have no graven images. And so if you really look at a, 
at that as a blessing rather than a rule. And, and the idea of a blessing comes out of the fact that if we know that we are one with God or one with spirit or one with the essence of life, whatever you choose to call that essence of life, if we are one with that, then there's no need for rules, right? Why, why would there be a need for rules? We're already one with that. In our more human experience, yes, we need that. That's why there's more than one layer to the to what we read on the on the page. But if you look at this, no graven images. That on the page, it seems to be telling you that there is a God who is a superhuman God that has rules, telling you, you know, don't don't draw images of anybody else. It's only me, right? So that's one way of looking at it. Another way is what is written in stone? And if, if we have the power to change our lives through our thoughts and through our knowingness of our oneness in spirit, then nothing is ever really engraved. So that shows up in a number of ways for the character Elena, one of them being her reflection on how she um, was able to get out of a, um, a work environment where she was she was bored to tears. She was working in a um, in a brokerage doing cl clerical type work, and she was bored to tears. She was an artist. She wanted to be an artist, and so she took a workshop that taught her about visualization and taught her about meditation. And she began visualizing herself as an art student and an artist. And she did the things that we know. Uh, in new thought that 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 help us to achieve our dreams you know we we picture the the end result we take actions we do things so she stocked her studio full of paints and canvases and then she started applying to art schools and the the really astounding thing was that she thought she was just going to go to community college but she did such a good job of visualization that she ended up going to a very prestigious art school in New York City. So, um, you know, what she had thought, quote unquote, was written in stone, this, life, this boring life that she hated was not written in stone. She had the ability to change that through her understanding that she was one with God and the creative power of the universe resided within her. That is such an important lesson that I think everyone can apply to their life, don't you think? Yeah, and, that, and that's what became so beautiful to me as, a, as this book unfolded with characters is that instead of me just telling you that, you, you read a relatable story by this character, Elena, that you can, kind of, you can kind of picture something like that happening in your own life. Either it's happened or you think, oh, I could do, maybe I could do this. Well, was that your point in writing Mystical Arc? Were you trying to convey lessons and weave your essays in there? Or is it, it's also a, a fun fiction read, really, isn't it? it it's really both. I, I, the characters grew so much on me. You know how when you read a book, you know, and, and when you're finished with it, you know, you kind of, there's this little bit of sadness because the characters are, start to fade away. And so I felt that a little bit when I finished the book, too. But the really cool thing for me is now I'm hearing other people talk about the characters, so they keep bringing them back to life for me. Oh, that's a, that must be a great feeling. It is. It's very exciting. So it is a book of fiction, and there is a lot of archaeology and art. And did you have to do a lot of research to get that in there? Yeah, yeah. There, you know, I, I'm very um, attracted to archaeological stories. You know, I, I like to watch things like that on TV. There's on the Discovery Channel and 
I read archaeology magazine, but I've never been on a dig. So, you know, I'm I'm totally out of that loop. So I had to really do a lot of research about equipment and about people. And I, I had one of my beta readers give me some suggestions, too, because she had been on digs and, and uh, you know, <laughs> I had clearly made some you know, mistakes about how to how to uh, portray something that she gave me some pointers on. So, you know, it it took a lot of research, a lot of research into locations, um, it's particularly the area where the ark is found. And that was really that was really kind of a fun thing. I I I wanted a place that was real but that no one, you know, that I could build this story around that didn't have enough history of its own for me to have to have conflict with as a writer. So I happened to discover this place called Bertuil. And it is this no man's land that exists between Egypt and Sudan. And so it's a real me, place. No one, it's a real place okay. and no one owns this country. Okay. And, and they don't own, and Egypt and Sudan were both awarded ownership of it under different uh, different settlements, but neither one of them will claim ownership of it because there is a more um, desirable piece of land that they both want. And if they claim ownership to this, they don't get that. So there's there's no ownership of it. There's no jurisdiction. There's no government. And and there are people who have gone there and, and put flags in the, in the ground and, and claimed it as their own. Um, that, you know, people don't pay a lot of attention to, but it was like, oh, this is the perfect scene for this because there, there's no government to deal with in certain ways. Like, for instance, in the Indiana Jones movies, it all takes place in the 40s. There's a lot less regulation about archaeological digs back uh -huh. then. Right? right? And so now there's so much regulation. If I were to have it near Cairo, I would be dealing with something that was way out of my element. And, and so a lot of the things that take place would be considerably more difficult there than it is in this no man's land that belongs to no one. So it sounds like you put a lot of effort into making sure it could be realistic. Yeah, I did. I wanted it to be as realistic as possible. I, I suppose if you're an archaeologist, you might pick out a few flaws, <laughs> <laughs> but but most people will will not see those things and and will you know be enveloped in the story. Well, tell us a little bit about the characters. You mentioned Elena, and I keep thinking you're Eileen. Is there any Eileen in Elena? She is probably the only character that really does have some um, affinity to a real life person. And she is not me. Okay. Uh, she is not me. However, she has had some of my experiences. And people who know me well, will they'll, they'll recognize them. I've changed them a little bit. But if you know me well, you'll know that, that that's something that I've experienced. But she's also had experiences of many other people or experiences that I simply built to uh, move the plot along or to get my point across about a different spiritual principle. Um, but the, the story about the art college is really my story. I, I didn't go to an art college in New York City, but I did go to the Center for Creative Studies in Detroit. And all I was trying to do was take some art classes at Oakland um, Community College. But I did, uh, uh, I did take a workshop many years ago um, called the Silva Method. I learned meditation, I learned visualization, and I put that stuff into practice. And I ended up uh, getting the school of my dreams when all I was trying to do was go to OCC.
you have to realize everything's open to interpretation. So, sure. and I told you, I'm looking for meaning and I saw a painter that sees the light in others. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's a painter that sees the light in others. She tries to express that. And she comes back from this experience and tries to express that. And she she is she is the plot unfolding, really, because so many of the experiences happen to her. But she's also, in a sense, a modern day Moses. Hmm. Um, the 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 um, in the story of Exodus, when Moses goes up, some people will know this, some won't. But Moses goes up to the mountaintop and gets the commandments twice. He goes up the first time and he comes back, and everybody is uh, worshiping the golden calf. And he's so angry and so upset with people that he throws the tablets on the ground and they shatter. And so Elena has a very similar experience when she comes back and tries to paint, you know, what she has seen and tries to express what she experienced in the desert through her paintings and people don't get it. And she sees all the, mm. the evil in the world and all the, you know, things that are happening in our world today, the, the corruption in politics and the, the racism and the hate and, you know, all of this. And she has, she has a meltdown much like Moses has uh, before she kind of gets herself back into that, uh, that other realm of being and, and starts looking at things in a different way. I think that's something a lot of us can experience every day, really. It is really, you know, and, and that happens to us all the time when yeah. we're, um, whenever we experience a new truth, you know, oh, I like that. We, I like yes, that. A I'm, new experience, a new truth, and then trying to get it out there, and people don't are they not capable of hearing it? Let's just put it well, that way. Well, it, it, even beyond the, it, or even beyond trying to communicate it to someone else, even just trying to communicate it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I say, well, we, we're one with the essence of life. That's a great truth, right? Right. But. Living that is another story, right. you know. So bringing that into our everyday lives sometimes is frustrating, and sometimes we forget it, and sometimes we we just get angry because of what's going on, and and we try to figure out how to reconcile this this deep knowing with the experience we're having as human beings. And so she kind of represents that in that in that scene and throughout the book. We're talking to Eileen Patra, who has a new book out, Mystical Ark. We'll add a vessel of blessings. Can you tell us about any of the other characters? Uh, well, there is Zach, who is uh, Elena's very best friend. Mm -hmm. Is they, there and, something going on between those two? I'm just, I was sensing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they, they are best friends. Uh -huh. and, and they're the kind of best friends that they kind of think, well, you know, someday maybe uh -huh. if, if one of us doesn't find the right person or neither of us does, you know, okay. perhaps we'll have a relationship then. All right. So they, they support each other through different relationships that they have and uh, Zach is an archaeologist. They met in an anthropology class back at, you know, what for me would have been OCC, although I don't know an archaeologist. Uh -huh. so, you know, um, they, they met in this anthropology class and then Elena went on to art school, but they stayed friends. And so as a photographer, she's very helpful to him on digs. You know, he takes students out into summer digs and she comes along as the photojournalist and and also she she happens to be very good with a, a brush. So sometimes she's even allowed to work with the artifacts because she can so delicately brush away the dirt and the dust. But primarily there she's there as a photographer. So 
Zach is um, Zach is in a way similar to her, but he's also her opposite. You know, he's the one who you know she's painting these ethereal paintings that are you know I refer to it at one point as she paints the sky. Hmm. You know, but he works in the ground. He likes to dig things up. Even as a child, he liked to dig things up out of the ground. You know, and find like you know old toys that had been hidden in the ground and he 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 connects to cultures that existed before by the evidence he finds in the ground so if you take that to a spiritual level he's that aspect of us that is informed by the earth by the things around us by the things we can measure the things we can see with our human eyes and so he has a whole different challenge when he returns from this experience of you know, how do I deal with this mystical experience that I can't measure, that I can't touch, that I can't, uh, you know, I, I, it, you know, how do I, how do I put that into my life? I need to measure things. I need to weigh things. I need to test things. And that's an aspect of us as well. So what was it like creating the characters? It, it was it was frightening at first. Other really? than Elena, she just kind of came to life <laughs> right. all on her own. But I was like, "How do what do I do with this?" You know, well, there's got to be a guy, you know. <laughs> so that that was how Zach was born, and and Zach was born out of that idea of, you know, needing this other part of us. You know, Elena's kind of the spiritually connected part of us, and then there's this part of us that's informed by the, you know, what we see and hear and feel. But there has to be more than that, right? There has to be conflict and there has to be, um, you know, some other well-rounded characters. So I, I can't really tell you too much about the other characters because I don't want to do any spoilers. Right. But there are several other characters. One of the most interesting characters, I think, is a woman named Gina. But I won't tell you much about her, just that she's a very interesting character. Um, there is a character named Paul, who is an author, and he has written a book called the tomb of God. And he was one of the four people who were there. And that's a really interesting story in itself. So, you know, what doesn't happen in Elena's uh, experiences or in her conversations, there's a few things that happen in quotes from Paul's book. Well, characters in books often represent something besides their role in the book. So what do you think your characters represent in your book, Mystical Arc? Well, you know, as I said, uh, Elena represents that part of us that's really not only spiritually connected, but really desires a deeper spiritual experience um, and, and really is on the verge at times of really getting there. Um, Zach represents that part of us that, you know, needs to see and feel and touch and is completely informed by the world around us. Because at times we are, you know, we, we forget that we're these spiritual beings having an human experience and the human experience takes over. So those are the two main things. But Paul represents something else. He, he represents um, an ability to communicate um, through our words. And, and our words are very powerful. So that's a whole kind of teaching in itself. Um, he also reinforces at one point the idea of, you know, what we visualize, what we hold to be true, and what we focus our attention on is what we experience. And uh, then there is Joshua. Joshua is the, uh, he is the person in charge of security on the dig. And uh, he has 
he has some connections that really, really help uh, along the plot. I don't want to tell you too much about Joshua, but Joshua is that part of us that is the 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 fighter, the 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 victor, the one that wants to win, the one that wants to protect, the one that wants to go out there and change the world to make it a safer place. So there's a lot of different aspects of our own consciousness that show up in the characters in the book. That was, by the way, really fun for me because when I took, you know, my first college level literature class and it was suggested to me that characters meant something besides the story. See, they and were I don't think people realize I was like, that. Wow, this is really cool. Yeah. I, it sounds like you put a lot of effort into each character, not just being a character or having dialogue or or uh, an interaction, but having true meaning. Yeah, and I did, and you know, even down to their names. There's, there's a, well, there's a character I, I don't want to tell you about, but you know, there's a character whose name um, I did a lot of research on, and then in the read from the editor, it was suggested that I change his name. Hmm. Because uh, because his name didn't fit his his background because he was clearly from an Irish Catholic family, and the name was not at all Irish Catholic. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but his name has to start with this letter, and there was a reason why it had to start with that letter. So it took me some time. I had to do a lot more research, and it, it took a long time to find a name that fit the the person and fit the situation that that I could still resonate with so um, and and I really I actually tried to change Elena's name several times because it was so close to my name and I couldn't I, I would try to change her name and it was like mm, yeah no that's not happening her name is Elena and there's nothing I can do about that <laughs> so. I try to picture people reading the book and are they gonna th be thinking oh a cool adventure or are they gonna be thinking wow that really makes me think well, I think for the most part, um, I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, the feedback I've gotten and, you know, some of the reviews have shown up on Amazon, but a, a lot of the reviews are coming to me in comments through Facebook or text messages. And people are really into the adventure story. And mm -hmm. then there's this, and wow, this really made me think. You know, so, and the people that are reading it are from a lot of different walks of life. I mean, there are certainly my Unity tribe that is reading it. But there are people I know that are not at all involved in unity or new thought or anything metaphysical who are reading it that are, that are going, wow, that really made me think, you know, or this part really made me think, you know, but they're, they're really involved in the adventure itself, you know, and what I hear quite often is, I've just read one chapter. I can't put it down. Oh, that's what every author wants to hear. <laughs> you know, it's so exciting. I'm like, could you please post that on Amazon? Yes, please. And now, is there any levity in the book? Well, yeah, it's funny. One of my uh, one of the people at Unity of the Livonia, when I was telling him about the book, he said, "Don't forget, you need some levity." And I went, "Levity? How do you put levity into this yeah. book?" It's, it's so serious and so profound. And, and then there's the adventure and the danger and the conflict. Where do you put levity? Well, levity came in the form of a cat. And the cat's name is Moses. Ah. <laughs> and it's Elena's cat. And she actually, she found him floating in the water, you know, and kind of drew him out of the water, which is what the name Moses actually means. She, uh, she found him floating on a piece of wood down the river near her apartment and you know, used a stick to drag him out of the water. And 
she knows a little bit about scripture. She's not, you know, she's not a practicing um, anything really as far as religious things go, but she, she's got this spiritual connection and she has a history. She went to Catholic schools as a kid, so she, she knows the Bible and she knows about Moses. So she goes, well, I just pulled you out of the river. I guess I'm going to call you Moses. And Moses is just, he's kind of there, you know, he needs to be fed. He needs to be cuddled. He mm. needs to, you know, he needs to get uh, Elena's attention quite often when she's, you know, going off too deeply into something. And and he's just sort of a funny character. He shows up at different times to kind of just bring us all back into our everyday lives and maybe have a chuckle here and there. We're talking to Eileen Patra, who's releasing her first book, Mystical Arc. And you're listening to Body, Mind, Spirit Radio. And you got to realize, Eileen, people could be listening all over the world. So we have mentioned Livonia. We're talking about Livonia, Michigan, in the United States, where you were a unity minister for how long? Uh, for six years. Six years. Uh, I, yeah, I started there in 2013, and I retired from uh, full-time ministry in January of this year to uh, to really to complete the book and to focus on writing. What was it like writing this book for you? How long did it take you? Well, the actual writing took about two years, you know, and like I said, it's probably been rolling around in my head for 20 years, but, uh, and, and it, then it sat with a couple of rough drafts on my desk for three or four years before I really got into it. And then uh, I took a workshop. Uh, I took a workshop called Write Your Book in a Weekend. Really? I thought, oh, this is really great. You know, I was gifted this workshop. It's actually a fairly expensive workshop, and it was gifted to me. And I went, this is great. This book's been sitting here forever. I'm going to get this book out of me, you know. And so I, you know, my husband uh, took both our uh, dog and cat up north, gave me the house to myself, and because it was an online thing, so I could, I could do it from my computer, but I had to have everything out of my way. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote for that whole weekend, and I thought, this is it. And that was when I came up with this book that was, you know, had this wonderful little story at the beginning as an opening, and then a bunch of essays that, you know, I was quickly encouraged to turn into a, a book of fiction that contained some of those ideas, but is far more entertaining to read. How does that feel? Are you emotionally exhausted or are you invigorated or it's a mystical interpretation? So I'd, for me, that would just wipe me out, but maybe for you, it <laughs> inspires you. Fuels you. Yeah, I certainly had times of being exhausted and certainly had times of being frustrated. And, you know, bringing, you know, writing a series of essays, you know, is something that it can just kind of pour out of you. Or, you know, I might struggle with some rewrites and whatever, but creating characters and a plot, uh, and this is pretty intricate, is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle with a million little pieces. Right. You know, and if you don't put them all together just the right way, something is not going to fit, you know, and uh, or you might end up with wh where's that one missing piece? Is it on the floor? Where is it? You know, so there were times when I felt very exhausted and very frustrated. Um, and I, as I finally completed the book, you know, there were I completed it more than once. I told you about the first draft, but there were several drafts after that before it was ready to go to the editor 
And I think when it went to the editor, I was at the point where I, I just can't work on this anymore. Yeah. It has to be done. <laughs> you know, I was I was exhausted. And I, I guess I would do maybe one more draft because I ended up doing that other draft after the uh, after the editing, which took a little more time that way. Well, you mentioned that that took a couple of years. But really, how long had this whole story and scenario and intention and vision been in your mind? Well, you know, the idea, like I said, started at least 20 years ago when I was teaching ago. kids yeah. Uh, yeah. with the, the curriculum I wrote called Seekers of the Lost Ark. Um, but I, I think the idea to put it into book form uh, for adults came eh, probably four or five years ago when I had a conversation with a congregant who who wanted to know about unity's belief in the commandments, and, which inspired a series of talks. And then there was another uh, another member of the church who said, because I, I only did three talks. I mean, they, clearly you could easily do 10 talks on this. And I did three, and then I got off onto something else. And she said, when are you going to do the rest of these talks? People really need to hear this stuff. And something inside me went, I need to put this into a book. And so that, like I said, was about about three or four years ago. So 20 years in your mind, two years to really get it going. Then you send it off to the editor. What's you the, send it off to the editor. What's that like? Well, that was interesting because, I mean, you know, there were, I, you know, my tribe wanted this book out. They all knew I was writing the book. They knew I retired to write the book and they were all anxious, you know. So, so I'm like, I got to get this book out while, while people are still interested, you know, and, uh, it was just, I felt like I was on this constant deadline and I kept missing my own deadlines. And so I finally had it together. It was later than I intended, but I finally had it together and I had already lined up the perfect editor for for the book quite some time before. And so I, I, I emailed him and said, the book is ready. I'm ready to me- email it to you. And he goes, well, I have two other books in front of you. And oh so <laughs> um, then I'm going on vacation for three weeks. So I won't be able to get to it. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, you know, <laughs> what will I do? And uh, so, I, so I was very frustrated with that. And I took 24 hours to think about that. What, what was I going to do? Was I going to go with a different editor? What was I going to do? And then I thought about how this editor showed up. Hmm. And I went, no, this is the editor. It has to be him. And I have to trust that the timing is right. And so I, I followed through with my original plan. And, you know, he got it done about two or three weeks early. Wait, wait, he got it done before he went on vacation. And he said he got it done because the story was so compelling, he couldn't put it down. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, I needed to hear that awesome. so bad. Boy, did I make the right choice. <laughs> well, you also mentioned a couple of times about having beta readers. What are those? Um, a beta reader, you, you look for some people who... Um, you know, have some understanding of literature, but mainly that are just avid readers. And they can be friends of yours, but it's a good idea to have, you know, people from, you know, different walks of life. And actually, if they don't know you, it's even better, because they're likely to be more honest. And so you give them the book before you even send it to the editor to get their comments. You know, what do you what do you think of the characters? Are the characters believable? Um, how, how did you relate to different characters? Um, you know, what was your impression about this? How, how did the ending work for you and that kind of thing? So I got feedback from from the people who did that for me that in some cases made some changes. 
and you keep referring to your tribe. How lucky are you to have a tribe? What what, what do you mean by that? I, I don't know where is that, that your squad. Because squad's from. the new I, word. I hear that from people from other people, so I sort of picked it up. But you know, people that I know and love that know and love me who've been who've been with me as this book has uh, come about in my consciousness that were there for the talks or you know uh, you know I, I developed some very very close relationships with people at the ministry in Livonia, which is in the Detroit area. And, uh, you know, I was there for six years. Uh, they became my best friends. They became mm -hmm. my family. So they were all looking forward to this. Uh, and, you know, then people from other walks of life outside of Unity that knew I was writing the book. So, uh, and, and as a Unity minister, I have a lot of minister friends who, uh, who were anxious to read the book as well. So I kind of consider those, some people call that a platform. I call it my tribe. Speaking of being a minister, how is writing a book like delivering a Sunday message? There's a lot of similarity, really, uh, for me, because a lot of the early process was the same. Uh, when I when I decide to talk about something, um, my before I even do research, I write down questions for myself, and I write down a, sometimes fifty questions about the topic, and then I answer them. And by doing that, I, I really tap into what I already know about the subject. So I've already helped myself feel comfortable with the subject before I even begin to do research to back it up. And so the, the, I approached the book in a similar way, a little different because of the whole idea of characters. And yet that worked for the characters, too. Um, I need a character that does this. So what do I know? You know, what do I know about people who are like that? Uh, what kinds of work do people do that are like that, that could portray that? So a whole list of questions. And so that that kind of gives birth to the character that needs to move that part of the plot. At the end of the book, there's a little bio of you. And it says you uh, have been a, a lifelong student of spiritual studies. You're interested in that and the meta metaphysical studies. And tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, you know, I very typically of young people when I was in my early 20s, I lost interest in the religious path that my parents had uh, had embarked upon and that I had been born into. I was raised Catholic and, uh, you know, no, nothing disparaging there, just simply it wasn't it wasn't a fit for me at some point. And so I went without any real spiritual contact for a while. And I, I knew that that was missing, but I also knew that that wasn't where I was going to find what I was looking for. And so I began reading books that, that stimulated that part of me that, that I could relate to. And I began going to workshops. I learned about meditation and, you know, this will date me a little bit, but that was, you know, back in the sixties or not sixties, but early seventies when, you know, when transcendental meditation was first like a big thing. And so, so I was taking those kinds of workshops and reading those kinds of books. And uh, actually, it was how I first got introduced to Unity. A, a friend loaned me a book called The Twelve Powers of Man by Charles Fillmore, who's one of the co-founders of Unity. And this was the most, at that time, it was the most amazing book I had ever read. Because his, his, the intention of that book was to explain to us that the 12 disciples of Jesus actually represented 
uh, powerful aspect of our own consciousness. And they call them the 12 powers. And for instance, one of them is um, love, that love is not just an emotion, that love is a power. Uh, wisdom is not just something you gain, but it's a power within you. And each of the disciples represented that. And, and it was it was a very esoteric book. I was like 21 when I read it. I was so blown away by this book, I, I, I couldn't put it down. Because it was, it suggested to me that the disciples were something other than these bumbling guys that never really got it right. You know, that, that Jesus was like constantly, you know, hitting his head going, you guys just don't get it, you know. And so all of a sudden they became something else. They represented a, a cross culture of, of humanity. They rec represented something in me. And I was just so turned on by this idea. And so I was like, I, I need to know more about this. And I looked in the book and it, it had this stamp. It said unity. And I went, I've seen that logo before. There's this church nearby that has that logo on it. And then I looked in the back about who published it. And it said something about unity village. And my first response was, there's a village of these people. I need to be there. I need to go to this place. So, so I called the Unity Church in, in my area that I had seen before and said, can I get a copy of this book? Because it, it belonged to my friend and I had to give it back and I wanted the book. And they said, well, yeah, sure. But um, we have it in our bookstore, but our bookstore is only open on Sundays when we have our church service. So you probably just need to come to church. And I'm like, go to church? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> And uh, but at any rate, I went and I was amazed and uh, I got my own copy of the book. And little by little, I, I got very involved in unity. And eventually my children got involved in unity. Uh, I went to I, I got involved in youth ministry and that drew me into the ministerial program. When you talk about metaphysical, what does that mean? Well, metaphysical just simply means beyond the physical, you know, so. Uh, in terms of scripture, it's you know there's there's another story beyond the words on the page. Um, there, there's another interpretation of everything, and and this really fits in terms of literature too. It's what I learned in that first college level li literature class. I probably was taught it in high school too, but I wasn't interested then. But that you know everything in that book means something deeper, and. That, that was just so fascinating to me. I wanted to know more. And uh, I just loved learning these the, the symbolism. Like, for instance, just take the name Moses. Moses means drawn from the water. So the whole story of Moses is not just the story on the page of a guy who led his people out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses represents something in us. He represents that which is drawn up out of us that brings us into a place of peace and harmony and a place of plenty. So that, that to me is just so fascinating and so exciting. And that's how I approach my talks and it's how I approach my writing. Is that something we should be looking for, looking for deeper meaning or looking for the metaphysical? I, I feel like my philosophy is you, you get what you're looking for. You see what you're looking for, really. So should we, in this time of social media and ugly politics, possibly looking, be looking for the deeper meaning? Well, I, I think it, I don't know that we should. I don't, I'm not fond of the word should. That's true. However, I think that when we do look for a deeper meeting, uh, we actually can find a peace, more peaceful place in ourselves. I mean, you look at 
the American politics today. It's very disturbing. No matter what side of the fence you're on, that that's it. It's disturbing to find you know such a, a a divide in what's going on in a country that you know we we've always thought of as being so special. But can we look beyond what we're seeing here, and can we look to beneath that? Uh, I I also just wrote an article about spiritual journeys, hmm. and uh, and I I used as my example my husband's illness in 2017. He was diagnosed with lung cancer, and uh, that was a very frightening journey to go through together, and. They, it was found very early, partly because he listened to this this niggling that was going on inside of him that there was something wasn't right, and he really pushed his doctor to give him an X-ray. So they they found the lesion when it was very small, so it was not particularly threatening, but the biopsy nearly killed him hmm. because in the process of the biopsy they punctured his lung, and then all this. Well, so infection. you meant literally almost killed him. Yeah, wow. The, the wow. infectious fluid filled mm. his chest cavity, had a sepsis infection. He was in ICU for 16 days. Wow. And so he, he healed from that. He has been cancer-free for two years. Yay. But what I noticed in the midst of all of that is that the real healing was more than what was happening in his body. There was a healing that was happening for him on a spiritual level, and there was a healing that was happening between us on a spiritual level. So there was something else going on that wasn't visible and it wasn't even noticeable to anybody but the two of us. And through a set, an unusual set of circumstances in the paperwork we had to fill out, uh, some of the trauma that my husband Steve experienced in Vietnam came to the surface and I believe for healing. And some of that was the way that he served. And it was, there were parts of the story that he had never told me before that were really traumatic. And, and as I looked at that on a metaphysical level, I thought, so perhaps holding that in was suffocating him all these years, putting pressure on his lungs. And it manifested as this disease. And um, so knowing that something else was going on, we were able to recognize a huge gift in all of this. It was terrifying, but there was a gift. And we came out of that with a deeper understanding of each other. And it was, uh, it was a very sacred dance. And he's doing okay? He's doing great. Two years cancer free. Awesome. Awesome. I always think there's a lesson in everything, but you're the unity minister. So <laughs> <laughs> I believe there is always a lesson and there's always something else going on. So when we Aha. look at the world outside us and we see all this junk going on my 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 advice is that we kind of go within and recognize that there's always something else going on and that God is always present that that essence of life is always active and so what doesn't look good is being shed for something greater to be made manifest wise words from Eileen Patra the name of the book is mystical arc and let's uh, let's end the conversation with what do you hope readers will gain or experience bottom line from your new book well i hope first of all that they'll enjoy the adventure they'll enjoy the the story and the characters but ultimately i hope that there will be something in there that sparks a question or sparks an inspiration that will open them up to something new within themselves and where can we purchase the book 
You can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can even purchase it at Crazy Wisdom if you're local here. Uh, they're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, there, uh, it's really retailers everywhere. Right now, it's pretty much online. The the digital book has already been re released. The uh, paperback is in pre-order stage. So uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other online retailers are taking pre-sales for it. Uh, but it will be available August 4th. And I know it took you a couple of decades to uh, get this uh, all put together, but uh, might you have another book inside you? I, I do. Uh, there's a couple of them I'm working on. One is a memoir called uh, God Had Another Idea. And so it focuses on parts of my life where there were um, abrupt changes, and yet how each of those abrupt changes, when you put them all together, led me to exactly where I am right now and where I feel I'm supposed to be. So um, God Had Another Idea is one of them. Uh, the other is a book that will be a companion book to the mystical arc. And so it will really take a look at some of the more essay ideas behind the book. And it will be more of a, a workbook, a journal type book. And that's going to be called A Living as the Ark. Living as the Ark. Eileen Patra. Her book is called Mystical Ark. And thank you so much for talking to us here on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio. Great. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. It's been great.